0: So today begins Advent for us. Last week we had our barn stations, and for anybody who participated in that, you kind of know how these next few weeks will go. And the only brief I'll give on Advent is the phrase, the space between, um, captures the essence of this season for me. The image is one of exile, and Israel, even in exile, is told uh, these promises of what's going to happen. And they exist in the space between the promises given and the fulfillment of those promises. And I think for most of us in our world today, we exist in that same tension of we know where things ought to be, where things ought to go, and yet they're not here yet. And they're still moving. And that's the image of of Advent and Christmas is, yes, the incarnation has happened. Uh, We don't have to worry about that. But... It's not finished. And so we can celebrate a past event, um, but we also have to hope that this thing still continues to unfold. And it's based on the church calendar. So the last Sunday was the first day of the new year in the church. And uh, that begins Advent, and then you get Christmas, and then you get Epiphany, and then you get Lent, and then you get Easter, and then you get Ordinary Time. And for some reason, uh, the, the church throughout history has decided instead of starting the new year, with Christmas, with birth, we start it with what happens before. We start in this period of waiting where things haven't quite moved yet, and then we'll get into the rest of the story. So apparently this is an important season that's supposed to shape us. Uh, Advent, just a Latin word that means coming, and so it's about anticipating the coming, not just of the birth of a child but of the fullness of the kingdom, the fullness of the world, the fullness of how things ought to be. And, and I think it's safe to say, if you're honest, that we're still we're still in that tension. And my invitation to you as we go through the season is to try to feel that darkness and that absence and that waiting and that tension and that yearning for light. Try to have it shape you in a way. Yes, it's uncomfortable. Yes, when I say, go to the darkness, most people are like, but I don't want to. So I'm not going to. Try it. And, and see what happens when you do, because the church has said this is important throughout history. And, and we want to be true to that. I believe that you cannot have Christmas without Advent. I don't think it makes sense to celebrate incarnation without Advent. And so my hope is that as we, we journey through the season... Um, we'll enter the space between so we can more fully move towards where our lives need to go, where our community needs to go, where our world needs to go. And hopefully by the time we get to Christmas, we will be different than we are right now, today. How many of you, this is the first time you've ever engaged with Advent? Okay, I should have asked it the other way. Uh, How many of you have engaged with Advent before? Okay, because nobody was really willing to raise their hands for the first question. Um, so this is not necessarily a new season for me, and for those of you who have been around me, um, there's probably nothing I can say at this point that you haven't heard before. Um, for some people, it's, it's a new concept. Um, I don't know if it's uh, just because I tend to appreciate darkness more than most, uh, I really like Advent. I also do think that it's really important. Um, so instead of me giving the same talks that I've given for the past six years, um, which I've done, by the way, uh, instead of me doing that, um, I wanted to bring up a person who has no experience with Advent um, or minimal. Yeah. And uh, what I wanted to do is most of you are you know, well-versed in uh, your your Advent wisdom. And so I just want you to sort of grade Amy on how well she does. Because you all probably know most of these things already, but she doesn't. And so we're going to sort of put Amy into a position of learning. And uh, I'm going to teach Amy about Advent. And you all can just sit and watch. And if you need to get coffee or go outside or uh, whatever, you can do that. But if you'd like to to listen to what happens, it, it might be beneficial for you all. Um, but so uh, I kind of wanted to give Amy an opportunity to ask questions that I'm guessing that many of you might have, or you might consider. Um, but also to kind of, uh, Amy is the first person that went, has gone through the discipleship process with me. And so I hope to display a little bit of what that's like. Um, and uh, don't worry. Amy can take it if you find yourself going, wow, Tyler's being really mean to her. No, it's okay. It's okay. I'm pretty tough. This is called discipleship, so it's fine. So um, when you think of Advent, Amy, where do you begin? What's your first Advent thought?
1: Uh, My first Advent thought is, why do you guys do this thing? Why is it meaningful?
0: Most of us don't do this thing. One of the things that I think is really interesting about Advent is that it has a really long history in the church. Um, And those of you who come from a mainline church have probably at least heard of Advent. There are, I would say, a majority of churches that they don't do it or they've never even heard of it before. (laughs) Like, I've met people who take on the name Christian and I'd say Advent and they're like, what's that? Uh, So I, I think it's been vastly neglected. I know so you come uh, from the Unitarian perspective, right? and you all talked about it, but didn't really do anything with it?
1: Didn't do much with the Advent, no. Okay. Um, everybody has the little Advent calendars that you open things up. I think that's most people's idea of what Advent is. It's and, like leading up to Christmas. And
0: I say, burn the Advent calendars.
1: <laughs> well, except for the chocolate, you might want to eat that part. No. no? You don't need it. <laughs> oh, come
0: on. May it add vastly to the suffering of the season. No, uh, yeah, so the Advent calendars is probably the thing most people associate with. I also think that most people's perspective on Advent is simply the thing that leads up to Christmas, which isn't completely wrong except it's not a season that stands apart on its own. It's only the precursor. It's the, the, uh, the prelude to Christmas. And I think that kind of misses a little bit of the formative part of what Advent's for. Um, I do think that there's a reason that the church stopped practicing Advent well. And I think that's because of the difficulty of the season. Um, what's also interesting to me is about the time period where the church stopped engaging with Advent as um, holistically, as I hope we do here, mm-hmm. um, is because or that, that happened at the same time where the church in America was starting to get very affluent. And I, I'm not going to say that one caused the other, but there's definitely a correlation. And this happened with a lot of things in the church, that as people became more comfortable and wealthy, we stopped doing certain things that maybe um, when the church was oppressed, persecuted, poor I think they would appreciate a season like Advent because they have a very real thing that they're trying to wait for, move for. Um, it is easier to avoid darkness than to go into it. Oh, for sure. I believe, and um, I think it's even harder for a church in a culture where um, being sad is like treason. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. we're we're constantly told put on a face that's very happy and. Um, anybody who does the opposite of that or tries to like force the opposite of that is seen as a rebel or uh, somebody who's just trying to cause problems. Um, and, and it's because it's just easier to avoid darkness, especially when we do such a good job in our culture of pushing darkness to the margins. So good thing the church has a season where you're not allowed to do that. Um, unfortunately, I, I do think that we've stopped Practicing it uh, very well. Why do you think darkness is important, Amy?
1: Well, for myself, I think that darkness is a time when you uh, you need to stop. You need to rest um, and and reflect upon where you've been and where you're going. And there's always that moment. You have that moment of absence, or or maybe not absence, but a pause. Hmm when you're writing, when you're creating, you always have that blank space before you start. And you need to stop and, and think about what you're going to do with that before you go forward.
0: Okay. Why do you... Uh, let, let's go into... If you were to look within the Christmas narrative, um, what about darkness seems important? So, like, personally, yeah, I absolutely agree. Mm-hmm. And if everybody's honest there's always a pattern of darkness, light, absence, presence in anything that you do. Like, so just had a child, there's absence before there's presence, right? right? There's darkness of during birth before you get the joys of uh, changing diapers and all of that. <laughs> there's there's always this process. Right. It seems like a natural rhythm for us, I, but within, within the church, like when you think about uh, Christmas and uh, incarnation and all of that, what do you... Where do you see darkness being important there? I mean,
1: I, I don't I don't honestly know about the church itself, but it's certainly all through the text. It seems like you always have to have that, you know, the darkness before creation. We see that. We see the exile. We see um, a lot of stories like that where people are in that state of descent before they can move forward and to do the thing. So, you know. Okay. Actually, honestly, when it comes to the church, when did that even get started?
0: Advent? Yeah. Um, around the 6th century. Okay. Mm-hmm. A couple centuries after Christmas got started. Because Christmas okay. was never, in the first 300 years of the church, Christmas was not a thing. Right. Nobody celebrated Christmas. That was a new thing. We don't have to get into that now. But, right. and, and so Advent came a bit after that, but Advent was patterned after exile, which you mentioned. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. Exile and exodus, which, are, which is another kind of exile, those are interesting to me because those are very real problems. We're slaves. Uh, We've been oppressed and removed from our homes. That's Mm -hmm. exile. Those ones are real. That darkness is unavoidable. You did bring up the creation one, though. Right. Why doesn't Genesis begin with let there be light? Why is that not the first word?
1: I would say it's for the same reason, because you have to have that pause. The only thing that I find different is it seems like creation to me is more like an, an active absence, if that makes sense, because there's that anticipation of something is about to happen, mm-hmm. whereas exile and exodus were situations where the people were helplessly caught in it. They couldn't do anything.
0: Yeah, we need to be careful. Like, uh, was Israel sent into exile because God just needed to give them this pause? Right. You know, that, that can get messy real quick. But with the creation one, it's, it's interesting to think about, was it even possible for the divine to create the world without there first being darkness. Mm. Otherwise, you would have just had the world and there would be no creative process. Right. There's nothing can come forth except for out of darkness.
1: You need the space. And that's where, Mm -hmm.
0: when we're talking about darkness and absence, you have to get to a place of that's not a bad thing. It can be. Exile certainly would be terrible. But you want to make something, you want to make a change, you want to have some sort of transformation happen, you have to have darkness in order for it to lead to any kind of light coming in. And that's, I think, because of contrast. I think I have uh, at the beginning on on there um, there should be go to the, I think, number two on that. Yeah, I think. Okay, everybody good there with the screen? Okay, now go to the next one. Which one's easier? This, this, is, this is me testing you all, I guess. <laughs> I test. That's, that's contrast. That's how light works with contrast. right? If everything is white on the screen, you won't be able to read. right? If, if the world is already created, there's nothing left to create. You want that, you need contrast. You need something to bring about a difference so that it can make what you need more visible, more practical, um, more possible, I think. Um, What do you know about the Jonah story? Can you rehash the Jonah story? Oh,
1: sure. Uh, So uh, God comes to, to Jonah and he says, you need to go to Nineveh. Uh, and it's a wicked city, and it needs to repent, and it needs someone to tell them. And so you got to go. Well, it turns out, you know, Nineveh was their enemies with the Assyrians, right? This mm-hmm. is an Assyrian city. Yeah, well, the, you know, the Assyrians were the Israelites' enemies. And where was
0: Assyria in the Fertile Crescent?
1: Where was it? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Uh, it was east. of...
0: I just I told yet. them I was going to be mean, and yeah, I that's okay. Yet, that's so right.
1: I, <laughs> I think it was east. I, the only reason I say that is because often they have to go east for things. But anyway, anytime something's bad, you got to go east. So
0: nice guess. Uh,
1: At least I'm using my Bible knowledge to make the guess. You're right.
0: You're right. So have we ever talked about the beginning of the Jonah story? I don't know. Everybody I've... knows Jonah because of the Jonah and the... No, it's a big fish. Right. Uh, I just love doing that because we're always... It doesn't say whale, so it says big fish. Okay. Okay. Uh, how the Jonah story begins? Do you have we talked about that before?
1: I, I, I mean, I know that he runs away, but I you mean, talking before that even.
0: No, no, oh, right? Okay, I no, think I, I know I have, the story. Do I have the Jonah text there? Yeah. So this is the very. This is how the the book begins. Actually, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, "Go at once to Nineveh, which is in Assyria, which is to the east of Israel." You're right that great city, (laughs) and cry out against it, for the wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah set out to flee to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid his fare and went on board with with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Anybody know what's going on here? He's running away. Tarshish would have been around Spain, really beautiful. Uh, very paradise-like. Nineveh's the opposite direction, so he's told to go to Nineveh, which is to the east. He ends up going completely opposite direction, which would have cost him a lot of money to board a ship to go that far. Very interesting. He disobeys.
1: Pretty dramatically.
0: Pretty dramatically, but there's a detail there. What do you notice going on? He
1: has to go to Joppa. Where is that? Does that have anything Java to do with it? It's um, going to be at
0: the port to help him He finds him a ship,
1: he pays his thing, he goes on board. Um,
0: and just, anybody can chime in if you catch what's happening here. He
1: tries to go away from the presence of the Lord. Ah, he
0: goes, he's going away from the presence of the Lord, which means the presence of the Lord is not where? Not in Tarshish. Tarshish, the beautiful Hawaiian-like city of the day. So the next time you go to your resort you're going away from the presence of the Lord. It's in the Bible. <laughs> if, if Tarshish is away from the presence of the Lord, where is the presence of the Lord? In Nineveh. Nineveh. The evil city of Nineveh is actually the place where God is. So we, we often want to reverse this, and we want to say, go to bright, happy, encouraging places. yes. Great. And, and we would say, yes, so the presence of the Lord is still in those places as well. But adamantly, in this text, you have to go to that dark, evil, wicked city of Nineveh if you actually want to find God. Go to the next, uh, the next screen. I think this is a really important thing for us to recognize. And if we were in a more impoverished culture, if we were in a more uh, uh, oppressed experience, if we had nothing to lose, we would probably find this to be true. that the divine dwells in the darkest places. You want to find God, go there. You'll find God. If you've suffered, you know this is true. No matter how hard it hurts, no matter how bad it is, that's where you find something transcendent. In the darkest places. If you avoid those places, you're going to flee to Tarshish, and that might be beautiful, but You're going to miss something. You're going to miss something. And why I think this is important is the same reason that that contrast is important or the same reason, like right now, if you were to walk into the kitchen and you were to turn a flashlight on, which you wouldn't have the opportunity because of... the Never mind, I won't get into the design (laughs) flaw I'm concerned about. Uh, You were to turn a flashlight on, you would see it. If we turn these lights all the way up and you turn the flashlight on, we would all be like, who cares? So if, if God embodies a sort of primordial light, that was interesting.
1: Speaking of which,
0: If God embodies a sort of primordial light, where are you going to see it most clearly? In the darkness, in the suffering, in, in the badness of things. That's where you'll find it. So I think that's why Advent invites us to first go into those places. Um, and I think this is also uh, why, why Advent is important. So you start with, without darkness, you can't see light. Right. Okay. I think everybody can agree with that one. No darkness, you're not going to see any new light come into the picture. Um, and, and part of this is, OK, yes, darkness makes light more recognizable. It heightens visibility. Um, when your eyes get dilated to darkness, now you're more likely to see a light that comes in. But then this also moves into absence. So when you brought up exile, right. okay, exile, exodus, all of that. Exile is also, uh, like, like the song that we sang, um, when you hear that phrase, Emmanuel, where are you now? That is actually a prophetic cry from exile. That's, that's the admission, is we don't know where this presence is it feels like absence why would absence be important what do you think especially within that exile
1: yeah because you
0: just got done, re- done reading 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 monumentations right yes yeah. uh book.
1: it was hard to read i yeah i found a lot, a lot of things that i think to myself wow why would they want to worship a god like that frankly but it was because when you read it deeper as you point out, it is, it's the idea that it's in that absence that you find the divine. It's, again, that contrast. And there's that uh, suffering that they had to do together with one another.
0: And why is Israel taken into exile?
1: The Babylonians came and took them.
0: <laughs> and what do the prophets say of, of why didn't their God act to stop that?
1: I suppose suppose they felt that they were not they were not paying attention to the presence of God. they were thinking they could do this story on their own. and so that yeah, it's not that they were punished the, for it, but
0: there's the milk and honey thing. Yeah, of, yeah, they became um, complacent. affluence and independence, we don't need this this uh, Yahweh anymore. And it created a particular lifestyle and world for Israel where God said, I will give you what you want. If this is what you want, there mm-hmm. you go. Babylonians come in, they're gone. We could look at that and go, How mean. Why would why would God do that? Come on, that's not a very good father. Or there's something else going on.
1: Yeah, it isn't so much about like a punishment but a fact that it's is if this is what they're choosing. They say we don't need this and so, you know, we're going to go ahead and, and live our lives. And okay, then. Okay, so
0: what would be necessary for them to be able to make a different choice to choose the different thing?
1: What would be necessary mm-hmm. for them to make the other choice? For them to look for the divine presence in themselves? And that they do by uh, caring for each other. They were not doing yeah. that, they had become complacent. And, and.
0: So I'm guessing that we would all say. God coming and being present is a good thing. If you've created a lifestyle or a culture or a way of doing things where God doesn't have space to come because you've removed that, how do you expect God to come? So what has to happen? Everything has to be stripped away so that space is made and now the divine can enter the story. When you refuse to let the divine enter the story, you will get exactly what you wish for there. And so what absence does, what going to darkness and allowing absence to be real is it makes space for God to come. God can only come where you make space for God to come. And that's why I think absence is important. And so if for 11 months out of the year you bask in the, the dwelling of that divine presence, great. Is there anything throughout 11 months that you start losing your way on a little bit is there any way over the past 11 months that you've, you've lost the point? You've, you've lost the plot. You've wandered a bit. Would it be okay to have a season where you make space for something to challenge that and help reorient you to where you're supposed to go? And this is why I think Advent's at the beginning of the year, right? We don't start <laughs> with Christmas. We start with make room for Christmas to actually happen. And if you jump straight from regular life to baby Jesus was born, you didn't make any space. Nothing changed.
1: Okay, right. So we
0: get this, this period of offness where we go, it's your invitation to change. It's your invitation to see things differently. It's your invitation to wake up to what you might have been missing over the past, so you might be different. I think that's what's, what's going on. Because the whole point of Advent is about transformation. That's my theory. The whole point of Advent is some sort of transformation has to happen. And we celebrate that with baby Jesus being born, right. which I say that a little tongue-in-cheek because I think <laughs> it's a weird statement. Um, we celebrate that with incarnation, but we also are invited with incarnation that we continue to transform as well. And I think darkness and absence is how that's going to happen. Do I have a, a, a Monty Python and Holy Grail picture in there? why why doesn't the black knight transform
1: because he doesn't want to admit that he is injured he wants to be like there's nothing wrong with me just but a scratch he says (laughs) yeah
0: okay how many of you are like the black knight Your arms are off, and you're still trying to pretend like everything's okay. You will never change. You will stay right where you are. Ignorance is, is the absolute antithesis to transformation. It won't happen. What does darkness and absence do? You can't be ignorant anymore because you got to be honest about things.
1: You got to look at reality. Right like,
0: and eye. seriously, you mm-hmm. can have most things together, mm-hmm. but the invitation of incarnation is to keep changing. To not stay where you are. Because we're in, we've had the promises, but they're not yet fulfilled. It's not yet full. We don't want you to stay exactly like you are. We want you to move. And so even if most things in your life are actually quite nice, it, what's the little thing where you can go, I can, I, how much more can I become in the image of God? How much more can I live faithfully to this kind of life? How much more can I help change the world? That will happen if you get honest about those things. And when you feel darkness and you feel absence, it brings those things to life, and you go, you know what? Yeah, I am missing an arm, and so we're going to have to do things differently here. Otherwise, you just end up like, like this guy. Like so, you have to start by naming reality, and having honesty, and experiencing how things actually are, is what's going to make change necessary. And, and sometimes, uh, sometimes it's it's you're going to need to force yourself to go into that. But the promise of this is, if you do, that things will actually be vastly vastly different. There's a phrase in You Name the Book where it says, uh, out of darkness comes a great light. The book is? I don't
1: know. Lamentations, no.
0: <laughs> Absolutely not. There's not much light in Lamentations. Anybody know? Isaiah, who said that? Oh, Mary... <laughs> Mary, you're slowly replacing uh, Amy on Uh-oh, the uh, Look out, she's going to be better here.
1: than me. I better keep my get to work. <laughs> uh,
0: and notice it doesn't say, like, out of everything kind of being the same and everything's all right, comes a great light. Out of great darkness comes a great light. Um, there's a, a Jamaican parable that says, if you want to climb the mountain, you first have to go down the valley. Everybody wants to climb the mountain, right? Everybody wants to go into a sort of high point. You have to start by going down into the valley. That's how transformation happens. Of course, my favorite metaphor for transformation is metamorphic rocks. Yay! I only bring this up like once every two months. So you all should probably be pretty familiar with it at this point. But seriously, I think it's a profound example of how things change. One rock becomes a completely different rock because everything stayed the same. (laughs) No. No, because of stress and heat and pressure and darkness and pain and suffering and difficulty and being honest about those things. And one rock becomes a completely different rock. This is why if you show up to AA, especially like you're forced to go to some sort of recovery, and, and you show up and you go, my name's Tyler and nothing's wrong, I'm good. They will all look at you and do what? <laughs> You're not ready yet. <coughs> and until they go, my name is, and I'm an alcoholic, nothing's going to change. It's just going to sit in that same space. Um, so uh, we were talking this week about this motif you get in the text, the middle of the night, or midnight, depending on how it gets translated. Um, what do you think that motif is about? So we would, Can you mention the places where you find it?
1: Um, Jacob, the story when he is uh, wrestling the angel is the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nicodemus comes to Jesus to talk about being born again in the middle of the night. Uh, Ruth goes to the threshing floor with Boaz in the middle of the night. Uh, a lot of stories like that, even Israel has to leave Passover comes in the middle of the night, and they yeah. have to go.
0: Jesus escapes Jesus. under the cloud of darkness. Mm-hmm. Gethsemane.
1: So that's, that's Gethsemane
0: happens in the middle of the yep. night. So you get you get this motif that appears all the time: middle of the night, middle of the night, middle of the night, middle of the night. And in each one of this, these stories, something happens. Do you could you articulate what happens?
1: Usually, that's a point where, again, perhaps that person who has to confront. Uh, that change that point of where they just don't know what to do. And that is indeed where a transformational kind of thing happens. This yeah, is the moment all, where movement goes. All
0: of these stories is there's some sort of descent where things don't look like they're going to get any better. There's no light at the, at the end of the tunnel, and they're stuck. and But the, in the middle of the night, and then everything changes. And I think that's a, an appropriate metaphor for us. Advent is your opportunity to go to the middle of the night. And you have this faithful tradition that says, and if you do, things will never be the same again. But you have to go there. If, if, if uh, Ruth doesn't go to the threshing floor, right? if Jacob decides not to go down and, and meet his wrestler, then nothing's going to change. But it's a hard thing to do. To go into that, dark, it's a hard thing to do. And one of the things that I hope that we can we can name here is when we talk about darkness, so I, ha- I had somebody confront me on this uh, maybe, maybe a year ago of um, the farmhouse talks about darkness too much. And, and we shouldn't be talking about darkness because this is the place to have hope. My response to that is you have no hope unless you're in darkness. Oh, yeah. Nothing will change unless you go to the darkness. You, you have to be able to go to those places. And it's not for depression's sake. I don't say, I do, we don't start and, and, and sing the songs that we did just so you feel gloomy. It's so that you go to the middle of the night so we can actually do something about the darkness. Our culture constantly wants to go around darkness. We want to avoid it. We want to escape it. We don't want to do anything with it. The, the text. The only time that happens in the text is when somebody does something and the response is, that was stupid. Right. The text is constantly about going, no, go there. Go there, and it's going to be hard, and it's going to be difficult. But this is the only way things are going to get better. Watch and see what happens. And Jonah tries to flee and go to Tarshish, and he gets thrown around by a boat. He gets swallowed by a big fish. <laughs> And then he ends up going to Nineveh and confronting not only the darkness of Nineveh, but the darkness within himself. And at the end of the story, both of those groups are different. But it has to happen first. We can either choose to be Jonah, we can choose to be the Dark Knight, or we can choose to be Israel. And and I really think it's important. Eleven months out of the year, I'll try not to talk about darkness. I'm not making any promises. <laughs> but the importance of, of going like look look this is the light we need and the only way we'll see this light that we need is if we make this place dark then we will see it we don't go to darkness for darkness sake we go into the darkness because that's how we will see the light that's how we will see the hope but it has to begin it has to begin there and and i i think that's why this week advent being about darkness and absence. I think that's why most Christians started avoiding it or just making it okay. like, yay, Jesus is going to be born again or some weird thing.
1: If I can address this a little bit. Go ahead. Um, It seems to me that you know when you get the thing you want, you don't need to hope anymore. So you need that hope. And it's like you, you think you know where the story is going. I mean, Jonah tried to make the story his way. Uh, you know, These people try to make the story the way they want it to go. If they don't sit there in that and wait, to see how the story is going to turn out. Mm-hmm. And so I think that makes a point to that. I mean, if you, like you said, if you're just always talking about happy things and you don't go to the space of what do we need, where you have reached the point where you don't know where that story's going to go, you don't know what you're going to do.
0: But here's the deal. If all there was was happy things, then yeah, you yeah. could probably only talk about happy things. My right. hope is one day we will live in a world in which that exists. Wouldn't that
1: be nice? But yeah.
0: But we don't. And uh, what I've seen even just personally with people, I meet people and I can immediately tell they're going nowhere. Or I meet somebody and I can tell they're just getting started. Because there is a posture of whether or not you're willing to be honest. And, and uh, because my dad's not here, I'll use him as the perfect example. Um, <laughs> my dad, for the, the majority of my early life, was that. Uh, that that Jonah, that that black knight, not not in a, a terrible way, but where he had it, and and I, I don't need anything here. And then my parents got divorced. He lost the house that he built by hand, right? He lost his job, and he suffered greatly. He is now different because he's lost that edge of trying to go no, no, everything's okay. He's willing to not go. Yeah, it ain't good. It ain't good, but I'm working on it. And I got a lot of work to do. And and you need to have that posture about your life. You need to have that posture about the community. You need to have that posture about about the world. Is things ain't terrible, but there's some darkness here. Let's keep working on it. You know? I would I would much rather live in a community that says, We don't got it all together here, but we're we're trying to figure it out, than one that goes, you know, look how great Evergreen is. Everything's so perfect here. Yeah. That that's a warning sign to me that well, there's some skeletons in a closet somewhere, and I don't know, I, I'm afraid to touch this. But when, when we have honest folk who are trying to do honest, good work, that's going to be the kind of thing that will change the world. And I think by being honest, is willing to go, what's absent here, what's dark here, and where is the light? Let's pay attention to it, let's see it, so that we can move towards it. And that's our, that's our invitation, I think, this first, first week, is, is can we yearn and can we long for and confront a world that has absence and darkness. Because when we do, we will find ourselves moving closer towards that light. That's the invitation. Okay. So it's not meant to be as depressing as sometimes it might feel. Um, there's a quote. I think I have this, a quote uh, by Meister Eckhart. Um, no, go to the next one. That's the middle of the night stuff. Go to the next one. That's a nice picture of a sunrise. What good is it if Jesus came 2,000 years ago if Jesus doesn't continue to come today? What good is incarnation if it happened once and it's done? If incarnation doesn't continue to fill the world today? We can't stay where we are. This season is going to be a catalyst for wherever we're going next. It's going to set up the year. Go back to the sunrise picture. This is, this is interesting about the middle of the night. Where's west? That way. Okay. So the sun's gonna go down tonight. Over there? Or it's gonna be more like there, right? Sun's gonna go down. And it's gonna get dark, and you're gonna go to the middle of the night. Like literally, it'll be midnight. If you continue to stare west, what will happen? You'll get light. But yeah. The middle of the night, maybe the invitation is turn around. Look that way. And it's gonna be, you're gonna be looking at darkness, but eventually you're gonna see that light coming up over the high. You'll see the first ray of light. And then you'll see that sun come up. So it's the middle of the night for you right now. Take a month to stare at the horizon. Turn towards the east and see where that light's going to come from. And when you see it, then you have a responsibility the rest of the year, you gotta start creating that light. And I think that's why the season begins with Advent. Any, any questions you have about that content? Uh,
1: no, I think that that makes a lot of sense. Um, it makes me think some of a quotation I heard, and it's become one of these sort of cliched Facebook memes, but I think it's a good one. And it says that, if you find yourself in the darkness, you may think you've been buried, but maybe you've been planted. Mm-hmm. So this is a situation where you can, in that point, pause. And wait and see how the story is going to work out.
0: Yeah. So I want to invite us to go there. I'd like to begin. Actually, you. I don't know if you wrote this poem today or oh. yesterday or.
1: I need to get my phone. Go ahead and get your phone. Up.
0: I want you to begin. We're going to do um, a little meditation uh, with each other to to end this, and we're going to light the candles in the back as a symbol of this for us. And so. Um, I want to begin, uh, Mary, if you would, with the poem, and then I'll ask you guys to just kind of rest for a couple minutes, and we'll light the candles, and we'll sing, and we'll be out of here, OK? But um, instead of just talking about Advent, I want us to do it. I want us to actually practice this thing real quick. Um, and hopefully, this will some things you can take with you as you go uh, until we get to the next part of Advent. So I think the, the way you capture the invitation here of Christmas because this is a Christmas poem done through an Advent lens. Because you're talking yes. about that Christmas moment. Oh, yes. But the only way you can engage with that Christmas moment. I really I really like what you did here. So go ahead and read that for us.
1: OK, the, the, the poem is called Advent Avoidance. The darkness of Advent is from my own eyes closed, averted, from angels I don't want at my door, bringing the curse of their blessings. The world would wait a long time on my halting feet. I don't want to go to Bethlehem. A lousy mother I'd be to some squalling spark of divine light laid in dungy straw. I'd have to reach out, hold that wobbly-headed hope in my stiff arms. If I don't look, then I can't see all the shadowed corners of the barn illuminated by that glowing child where homeless shepherds gather with gaunt cheeks and caged orphans cringe. And animals suffer, crushed in rows of stanchions. Don't kneel before this manger. His little cry would pierce me. If you won't do for these what you would do for me.
0: All right, uh, get into a posture of of silence, um, of prayer, of meditation, however you need to. And I just want to ask some questions. And offer a prayer on our behalf what is the absence and darkness in your life and in the world that's the question today what is the absence and the darkness in your life and in the world what are the ways we still need Jesus to come what is the middle of the night no matter how great or how small it is for you now what is that Pay attention to it, see it, and name it. (laughs) Offer some thoughts can maybe help you wrestle with this topic. Those living in darkness have seen a great light, but it is yet a small glowing ember distant on the horizon as if it is barely alive. So we wait and watch. That hopelessness will fade into hope hate into love, evil into peace, destruction into goodness, just as midnight grows into dawn, that it might become a brightness so strong and overwhelming that darkness becomes impossible. May the light grow ever so boldly that all wrong will be made right, and in this world, God's world again, be made full. going to light our first Advent candle of the season in which we reflect on the darkness and the abstinence, so that we might move towards the fullness of these candles. And I want you to focus on this light in the hopes that whatever you have in your life and in the world darkness of your motives, the darkness of your desires, the darkness of your physical health or mental health or emotional health, the darkness of your relationships, the darkness of your family, your marriage, how we treat others, the darkness of our community which is here, we have it, of our culture of affluence and greed and racism and inequality imperialism, the darkness of how we interact with creation. The the end of that poem is there's this dark barn with shadows and and animals and a manger with straw and dung and Jesus as an infant crying out and saying, don't kneel before this manger if you won't do for these what you would do for me. I love that image. And as our, our manger is before us and it's empty, What's the absence in darkness that we need to have? just start with getting honest about? You don't have to fix it right now. But can you see it? And if you can see it, can we then move towards a better light, a better life, and a better world? And so as we sing this last song, that's our anthem for the Advent season. Um, if you feel so willing, I want to invite you to come to this back table and Take one of these wooden sticks, light it on one of the main candles, and and light a candle for yourself as a way to say, and maybe as literally as you light it, maybe you say, This is my darkness, and name what that thing is, or This is what I hope for the world, and name what that is, and then place your candle or your stick in the water so nothing catches on fire, and uh, just let that sit as we sing uh, this song that so many of you know. So as you feel called, as you are able, let's get that back table lit brightly as a symbol for our hope during this season.